Good morning. Take your Bibles, turn back with me if you would to Galatians chapter number 6. Galatians chapter number 6. We're going to say goodbye to our old friend Paul this morning. We're going to close out our four-month study of the book of Galatians today. And we come to that section of any book that we tend to either read through very quickly or skip altogether. And that is the closing words. I think we do ourselves a disservice, especially in the book of Galatians, if we leave these last verses. You'll recall in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 8 that the apostle Paul had warned, For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. It's to this issue that Paul now returns, pointing out how the false teachers, the Judaizers, uh, are being guilty of sowing to the flesh. And so this morning, the first thing that I want you to note with me is glorying in the flesh, the motives of the false teachers. In verse 11, the Apostle Paul writes, See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. It is as if the Apostle Paul at this point grabs the pen from his scribe, his secretary, and he begins to write himself at this point. He begins by calling the reader's attention to the large letters that he writes with his own hands. Now, there are many suggestions offered by the commentators as to the significance of Paul's large letters. But perhaps the most compelling is that he had a problem with his eyesight and he had to write in large letters, or he was writing with large letters for emphasis. Like today, we would use bold or italics or all caps to make sure that someone noted what we were writing. If one has to decide on a single reason, then the eyesight theory probably makes the most sense, although we can't altogether settle that issue definitively. Paul now lays out the real motivations of the false teachers. He says, first of all, that it is a result of pride. In the first part of verse 12, as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised. The Judaizers were really only interested in making converts to their position. In order that they might parade them before others and receive the praise of men. But not only was it a result of pride, it was a result of cowardice. As he points out in the second half of verse 12, only that they might not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. The Judaizers, by embracing circumcision, hoped to sidestep the wrath that was coming from the Jewish religious leaders who were severely persecuting the Christians by this time. It was also as a result of their hypocrisy. Verse 13 says, For not even those who are circumcised keep the law. For the desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. Paul says that the false teachers are not really what they seem. That they are really hypocrites because they demand that the Gentile Christians be circumcised and keep the law, but they themselves did not practice what they preached. 
They were much like the scribes and the Pharisees whom Jesus condemned in Matthew chapter 23. These, the scribes and the Pharisees, demanded that their followers practice rituals that they themselves did not follow. Jesus called such people fools and hypocrites and serpents and even a generation of vipers. The Judaizers were really not concerned about the Gentile believers. They just wanted to seem successful. They wanted to be able to brag, we've seen a hundred new believers circumcised. It's not so much different from churches today that are so concerned for numbers that they will do almost anything to attain them. They have manipulatively extended emotional invitations. They, sat, they count the same people more than once. I've even heard of some poor bus kids who have been saved and baptized multiple times just so that the church count could be up. Secondly, Paul talks about glorying in the cross, talking about his own motivations. He says in verse 14, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, with whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. In America today, for many Christians, the cross is no longer a reality to embrace, but rather a symbol to display. It's very easy to content ourselves with displaying the cross even if we are not living in the light of the cross. There is a continual temptation for the church to turn the gospel into the cross plus something, something else. Whether that something else is a deed or a duty, a sacrament, a social cause, the problem is always the plus. For the gospel to be the gospel, the cross has to stand alone. Timothy Keller has an insightful statement about the offense of the cross. He wrote, The cross is by nature offensive, and we can only grasp its sweetness if we first grapple with its offense. If someone understands the cross, it is either the greatest thing in their life or it is repugnant to them. If it is neither of those things, they haven't understood it. There is third, glorying in the scars for Christ. Verse 17, from now on let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Unless you've lived a very sheltered life, very sheltered and careful life, you probably have some scars on your body. I read the story of a young man who enlisted in the army, and when he arrived, he was given a physical examination. The recruit was asked if he had any scars or identifying marks, and he answered no. The medic at the table said, boy, everyone has some scars or identifying marks. You better tell me yours, or I'm going to take you outside and give you some. 
Suddenly the guy remembered that he did have some scars. Now there may be, these may be scars from accidents or scars from some surgery, but every scar on your body has a story. There are several different kinds of scars, obviously. First of all, is there are physical scars. In my 30-plus years of ministry, I've visited church members in the hospital hundreds of times. There are many times when I've gone into the cardiac care unit after someone has had bypass surgery. Bypass surgery is a very painful surgery, and the surgeon has to hurt you before he can help you. If you've had open-heart surgery, you have what my mother says is the train track. She had two of them because she had heart surgery twice. Every time you look at it, you probably remember the pain and the discomfort of that surgery, but you also realize that without it, you probably wouldn't be sitting here today because you wouldn't be alive. There are scars on my body, and every scar tells a story. There are some small, almost imperceptible scars on my right wrist. When I was four years old, my mother still had a ringer washing machine. For those of you too young to know what that is, the old-timey washing machines didn't spin the water out of the clothes. They had a set of ringers that squeezed the water out of the clothes. The process always fascinated me as a child. Watching my mother put those clothes through the ringer, seeing the water being squeezed out of those clothes. I don't know what it was that fascinated me about it. But I've been, bothered, I've been warned by my mother not to bother that machine. But one day when she was out hanging up clothes, I decided that I was going to put some clothes through the ringer. I'd done a few when I misjudged and I got a little too close. It grabbed my hand along with the clothes and pulled it between the two ringers. I, of course, began to scream bloody murder, and my teenage sister came to my rescue. Unfortunately for me, she panicked. And instead of hitting the release lever, she hit the reverse lever. She ran my hand back through the ringers. In the process, it pulled the flesh off of my hand like a grape. There was no flesh on my right hand. After that, I wondered if my sister secretly hated her little brother. (laughs) I could point you to the scars on my knees. I wish I could say it was from praying so much. But the scar on my left knee is from a chainsaw. I heartily recommend that you don't try that one. The scar on my right knee is what happens if you have a blowout on the front tire of a motorcycle and your leg is between the motorcycle and the pavement as you skid sideways down the highway. I would not recommend that one either. My most recent surgery gave me three new scars. But by now I think you realize what I'm talking about, and although I could regale you for hours about my scars, uh, I think I've made my point. Paul wrote in verse 17, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. The word translated marks is a very important or a very significant word. In the Greek, it is the word stigmata, stigmata. 
It's translated either marks or brand marks or scars. Now, since Paul wrote this letter, the word stigmata has taken on a completely different meaning. From medieval times on, the word stigmata came to be used of a person who had marks on their body resembling some or all of the five holy wounds that according to the Bible were inflicted on Jesus during his crucifixion. Wounds in the wrist and feet from nails and in the side from the lance. They, were in, they are inflicted presumably by some supernatural act. Perhaps the best known example was Francis of Assisi who who it was sometimes asserted that blood dripped from his hands and his feet and his side during the last years of his life. These have only appeared on Roman Catholics, by the way. Protestants have never had this happen to them. And even the Catholic Church has been cautious in embracing these stigmatas. But that's not what Paul meant when he said stigmata in our text. Paul is referring to the actual scars of persecution and suffering. Now, where the Judaizers could show an external mark as speaking of the circumcision, that they wanted to impress God with their ritual, Paul simply showed the natural result of his true Christian service. In his second letter to the church at Corinth, he enumerates some of the ways in which he had attained the marks of the Lord Jesus. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three, we read, In stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often, from the Jews five times I received forty stripes minus one, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day have I been in the deep. These are just some of the particulars that he enumerates to make his point. He could not have undergone the stoning that he did in Lystra, according to Acts chapter 14, been dragged out of the city and left for dead, and not carried away some enduring disfigurement. It is likely that Marks remained upon his body from the five Jewish beatings that he required, that he acquired, and we most most assuredly know that the three floggings that were inflicted by the Romans would have lifted strips of flesh from his body and left his flesh scarred with seams of permanent disfigurement. As he wrote, scars remained of the eight punishments which were maybe even at that time still making themselves very painfully felt. We understand the the physical scars, but many people also have emotional scars. Not all the scars upon our human heart come as a result of a surgeon. Many have invisible scars on their heart as a result of devastating loss or for some harmful and dysfunctional relationship. The wounds of life are often invisible, but they are just as, if not more painful, than physical wounds. But these scars of Paul had meaning. 
there is first of all the fact that in his day, many slaves received a mark. It was a mark of ownership. In Roman times, a slave was often branded with a hot iron, signifying the owner. Paul repeatedly referred to himself as a bond slave of Jesus Christ. So he considered the scars in his body as a mark of ownership. He belonged to Jesus Christ. He had literal scars in his body that marked him as being owned by Jesus. Now, we don't have a visible brand on our skin today, but I would ask you, do people know that you belong to Jesus? If he asked the Lord to, to stamp you with the brand of his ownership, the Bible says we don't belong to ourselves, but we belong to the Lord. 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20 says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your body. Paul considered his stigmata a mark of ownership. There's also the testimony of soldiers and the mark, scar, tattoo, whatever you want to call it, was a mark of loyalty. In ancient times, soldiers often got a tattoo or a brand identifying them with their army or even as many service personnel in our day get tattooed with their, the symbol of their unit or the branch of their service. It's said that Alexander the Great, who conquered most of the known world, one of the things that made him great was the loyalty and allegiance of his soldiers. Every member of his army was so loyal to Alexander that they bore a stigmata They had the Greek letter Alpha for Alexander branded or tattooed on their hand. He wrote to young Timothy, he said, Endure hardship like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And as soldiers of the cross, we will suffer persecution. There will be battles, and because of those battles, there will be battle scars. And the third thing is that our Savior gives us a mark of identification. I wonder, have you ever suffered because you're a follower of Jesus? If so, probably not physically. Yet there are many believers around the world who have been tortured and killed for their faith. Thankfully for those of us in America, that has not happened to us yet. You may not bear the physical stigmata of Christ, but if you truly live for Christ, you will find that there is a stigma attached to your name. We get our word, the English word stigma, from the Greek word stigmata. Stigma is a mark of disgrace or infamy, a stain or reproach on one's reputation. If you claim to belong to Jesus and you believe the Bible, then don't be surprised if our society stigmatizes you. We are seeing a growing hostility and animosity toward Christians, especially Christians who say they believe the Bible and say they hold to the principles of the Bible. The attacks aren't going to let up. They're only going to become more intense. 
And fourth and finally this morning, there is glorying in the grace of God. Paul started this letter with speaking about God's grace, and he concludes it with speaking about God's grace. After the very salutation at the beginning of the letter, he wrote in verse 3, Grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And the final sentence of the letter says the same thing. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Grace is our entry point into, it is our way to continue in, and it is all we will ever need to live the Christian life. Let me close by telling you a little story. Although I cannot attest to the veracity of this story, it is a compelling story. Some years ago on a hot summer day in southern Florida, a young boy decided to go for a swim in the pond behind his house. In a hurry to dive into the cool water, he ran out the back door, leaving behind his shoes, socks, and shirt as he went. He flew into the water, not realizing as he swam toward the middle of the pond, an alligator was swimming toward the shore. His mother in the house, who was looking out the window, saw the two as they drew closer and closer together, and in fear, she ran toward the water, yelling to her son as loudly as she could. Hearing her voice, the little boy became alarmed and made a U-turn and began to swim to his mother, but it was too late. As he reached her, the alligator reached him. From the dock, the mother grabbed her boy by the arms just as the alligator grabbed his legs. Thus began an incredible tug-of-war between the two. The alligator was much stronger than the mother, but the mother was much more determined than the alligator. A farmer who happened to be driving by heard her screams, raced from his truck, taking his rifle with him, and took aim and shot the alligator. Remarkably, after some time in the hospital, the little boy was on his way to recovery. His legs were scarred by the attack of the alligator, and on his arms were deep scratches where his mother's fingernails had dug into his flesh in order to hang on to the son that she loved. The newspaper reporter who came to interview the little boy asked if he could show him his scars. The little boy lifted his pants leg, and then with obvious pride, he said to the reporter, but, but look at my arms. I have great scars on my arms, too. I have them because my mother wouldn't let go. You and I can identify with the little boy. We have scars, too. Hopefully not from an alligator or anything quite so dramatic, but the scars of painful past. Some of those scars, whether seen or not, have caused us deep regret. But some wounds are because God has refused to let us go. In the midst of our struggle, he was there holding on to us. And if you have the scars of his love on your arms, be very grateful because he did not, he will not let you go. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we realize that the, there is great truth behind that story that you have not, you will not ever let us go. Father, I realize that everybody here has some scars, some of them 
our physical scars and reminders of things and accidents in our past. Some of those scars cause us great regret because of foolish mistakes we've made. Some of those scars people sitting next to us will never know about because they're not physical scars, they're emotional scars. But there are scars that we've carried with us all of our lives, scars of things that have happened to us. But Lord, help us to realize that those scars are there as a reminder that we have, we have survived, that you have a plan for our lives that went beyond that hurt. Father, there may be those who are here struggling today, even years after, with hurts that they need to let go. Scars that are still troubling them tremendously. Lord, we pray that uh, our scars will be the scars of a reminder of your presence in our lives. We want to reflect Jesus. We want to have signs of his ownership, of loyalty to him, of our willingness to give all that we have over to him. Lord, would you help us in this time if we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please?